Welcome to another iGrow season at APC. We're so glad you've tuned in. Our church is blessed with excellent teachers of the Word of God, and our hope is that you find today's teaching enlightening, motivational, and encouraging. To learn more about our church, visit theapc.org or find us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. So sit back, relax, and enjoy today's lesson. So as you know, we were studying uh, the miracles of Jesus. And if you notice how the miracles correlated to today's times, we went through, I think we got through something like 12 or 13 last week. I can't remember exactly. Um, Blake had a few and then I did a few. And we asked how many people had seen a miracle. And I think one or two people, Brother Bruce, you said you had. I know I had seen a miracle. And I remember your teaching. Sorry, he was our youth leader. You taught years ago, I want to see a miracle. I want to see a miracle. And, that, and he wasn't just talking because we seen the, the demon cast out there in Hayworth. But he was talking, he wanted to see that withered hand. And what he was basically saying was, we had all these missionaries coming in and saying, oh, I was preaching here in Ethiopia or here, and I got to see this and this. I want to see it too. I'm the same way. I've, I've seen a demon cast out. Uh, but I want to see somebody with broken legs get up out of a wheelchair. I want to see a deaf person. I can hear it. What's holding that back? I think, this is me, Alan, 101. I think we're not desperate enough. I think being westernized, Americanized, whatever you want to call it, I can go to my refrigerator and there's a ton of food in there, or I can get in my car. Um, and I, I think that where we see these miracles at, they're walking uh, 30 and 40 miles. Or they're riding in the back of a pickup truck when it's 110 degrees outside with no food to get to a church service. And we don't do that. And it's kind of, we're not desperate enough for Jesus. And I'm showing up late to class. We're not desperate enough for Jesus. I'm just teasing you guys. So, what are your guys' thoughts on that? We're not desperate enough is what I'm saying for the miracles because we see them in Africa or hear about them. We don't see them here. Go ahead, Brother Paul. You're... I don't know. I, I, I've thought about this some recently and I think some of them stands in the way of the miracle possibly is I, I want to see a miracle because I want, I want to lay hands on somebody and them get a miracle. It's about me as opposed to the miracle. Uh, why, why do I want it? And I think we kind of get in the way um, because we want, we want to be able to tell the story of how God is using us or me to do great things. Just some introspective thoughts about that. Have I gotten in the way of a miracle because... I'm I question that. God to flow as God. Um, I don't care who gets the credit. I'm just going to be transparent. 
There are times I will not go up front and pray with somebody because I feel like I didn't pray enough that week. <coughs> Does it say in the Bible that I got to be prayed up? I know I'm. I, I, <laughs> correct me if I'm overstepping, please. Look, if, if we're seeking God and somebody needs a healing, it doesn't matter. We have the same authority as the apostles did. It doesn't say the apostles were prayed up. I'm not saying they weren't. Don't don't I know this is a fine line, but it doesn't say they prayed every second of every day. Yeah, they were seeking God. But you have the same authority that the apostles do. It says it. So I think sometimes we get in our own way. We start thinking too much instead of just doing. And I, I think that that's part that that may be just be me. Has anybody ever else anybody else ever thought that? Yes, sir. Oh, I'm sorry. Don't be shy, guys. Look, this is interaction. I have one more thought. I'm sorry. Did I interrupt you? Go ahead. I was just kind of piggy, piggybacking on Brother Paul. Um, a lot of times when we see Jesus doing miracles in the ministry in the New Testament, it's in response, or it's to confirm the word that he preached. It's in confirmation of what of when truth went forth. So maybe kind of what Brother Paul was saying, that uh, if the miracle is all about us, then that's not really the right mindset. So a lot of times, you know, God can't confirm the truth that we're thinking, the truth that we're living out, or the truth that we're advocating for, even if it's internal. If, you know, he can't advocate, he can't confirm that with a miracle if we're, you know, not living right, or if we're not living truth, you know? Right. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Reading 1 Corinthians chapter 12 talks about the gifts of the Spirit. Mm -hmm. And one of the gifts of the Spirit is the ability to do miracles. And one is healings. And we don't talk a whole lot about the gifts of the Spirit, but if you have the Spirit of God, you, you've got a gift operation. And I wonder if, if there's somebody sitting in this room who has the gift of healing and is just not operating in that. Like you see tongues and interpretation of tongues, that, that's a gift. Uh, and I, I would love to get interpretation of tongues, but when I hear somebody speak out tongues, it's like a, it's a, like a whiteboard. I've got nothing. But somebody does. And there's a gift there. There's, there's wisdom. There's, there's administration. There are a lot of gifts of the Spirit. Somebody has the gift of healing and the miraculous needs to operate. And I would, I would encourage people to, maybe you're a kid, maybe you're an adult, you just never had the faith to do it. Reach out and put a hand on somebody. Right. It might be you right. who's the conduit right. of the Spirit of God. Any, any other questions? You want to come up and teach? No, 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 no. no. <laughs> so, I just wanted to open that up. Hey, guys, while I'm talking, don't just stare at me. Talk. Listen, this is an open form. You are not incorrect. And if you are, Paul will correct you. <laughs> so, um, like I said, we there's several there was 37 miracles that Jesus did that are that are recorded. But when we get down to some of these, uh, when there was a multitude, it says that they brought the people and he was healing the blind. He was doing this. 
So how many thousands of miracles did he actually do? Because when you have a crowd, when we have a crowd out here of a hundred, we're going, you need prayer, you need prayer, you know, their hands are up. You got 4,000 men and you know that they're bringing blind, deaf, leopard, whatever it is. They're reaching out and going, hey, we need you, we need you. And he's just going, you're healed, uh, you're healed, you're healed. I, I don't know how he did it. Did he? Some of them did he lay hands on or did he just go, your faith has made you whole. I, I mean, yeah, it, some of that's recorded, but when they say they brought them and he healed them, I mean, they got to be standing there for a long time because we've had our prayer lines here and it sometimes can get an hour or two. I'm sorry, I keep looking right at you. Why did you sit in the front? <laughs> so, let's get back to our miracles here. Uh, last week, I kind of ended on the woman with the issue of blood. Um, and, and we're trying to go in chronological order. So, But if we get out a little bit, that's all right. Um, the next one that we show here was the two blind men. Uh, their sight was restored. It happened at Capernaum. And it's really only recorded in Matthew and this is what's interesting. A lot, of the, a lot of the healings that are recorded, the people were coming to Jesus and crying out. And these two uh, blind men actually were crying out. And all he did was ask them if they believed. And of course they responded, yes, as we know. But you wonder what made them believe. Had they seen other healings? Had they just heard about it? And that's why I was talking about that. I've seen a demon cast out, but I haven't seen like somebody healed. I've heard of the healing, so I do believe that they can be healed. So when I see somebody in a wheelchair in our services, God, I want you to heal them. Jesus, go touch them right now. Instead of, God, I know you can heal them. You know, so sometimes it's my faith I feel. So, I just feel like, you know, sometimes we're hindering ourselves. Um, and like I said, maybe it's just me. Maybe it's not you. But these men were crying out. And this, that's the way the world is today. They're crying out. They don't know that they're crying out for God. Some of them, they're crying out for something, whether that be alcohol or drugs or whatever. They're wanting something. And we see that we have the answer. And all we have to do is believe. Um, we jump down to the, and if I mispronounce things, you guys can act like my quizzers and make fun of me. Dumb, demonic, healed. Um, when I think of dumb, I think of Eli. No, I'm teasing you. <laughs> Avery, there's your joke. There it is, right? There. <laughs> I like that um, This healing happened at Capernaum, and it's it's recorded in Matthew, and it says, while they were going out, a man who was demon possessed and could not talk uh, was brought to Jesus, and when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. The crowd was amazed, said nothing like this has ever happened in Israel. And once again, the Pharisees, and uh, it's 
sorry, Matthew 9, 32 through 34. Uh, verse 34 says, But the Pharisees said, It is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. And he already answered them on this one, on one of our previous miracles. How can a devil drive out devils? Is basically what his response was in the previous one. And they see it again, and what do they do? Well, oh, that's another demon driving out demons. How, how can that happen? So, I mean... All along, the Pharisees are still questioning God. And they're still questioning why. And they're, they're seeing the miracles. So, it makes you wonder what in the world was going on. And we'll get, that, get to that uh, next week as part of our lesson on why they didn't accept Him. Uh, then we jump down to the 5,000 fed. This is an awesome story. It happened at uh, Decapolis. It is in all four Gospels. And John tells a story and he says, hey, this great multitude was following him and he knew they were hungry. So obviously they had been following him for a while. And he turns to Philip and asks, how much? 200 penny worth. And that's not enough. So he's asking Philip, hey, how much do you think it would cost to feed these people here? Well, in today's time, 5000 would be quite a bit, especially the last few months. Um, you can't go to McDonald's and feed a family of three for under $20 these days. Um, but Philip, you know, hey, he starts thinking about, well, it would cost this much and this much. And then Andrew, uh, Simon's, Andrew, uh, Simon's Peter's brother, says, hey, there's a lad over here that's got and I'm wondering if he was being a little sarcastic. Five loaves and two fishes. So he's looking at Jesus and goes, hey, this little guy over here has got five loaves and two fishes. But what is that? So I, I kind of think he was being sarcastic to Jesus. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm reading it wrong. But I, I think he was stepping in saying, Jesus, this would barely feed ten people. we got 5,000 here. And Jesus knew that the disciples couldn't figure this out, but yet He still turns to them and, and asks those questions. So He made the people sit down, and it's interesting, and I'm not for sure why He did this, but He made them sit down in companies of 50s and 100. So, hey, you're over here, you're over here. Maybe that was the first small groups that they started. I don't know. But He made them sit down, and He got the disciples involved by having them start figuring out and then he started saying, here, hand this out. Break it. Here you go. And they, the people were fed. Now it's 5,000 men, so we've always figured there's women and children. Who knows? I mean, back then, a family of 15, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> but it's amazing how his disciples, they've seen all these miracles, are still going, eh, it would cost this. We don't have it. How, how are you going to make that happen? But yet, once again, God goes, here you go. It's happening. And they're walking with Him. They're there every day walking and seeing all of this happen. Then we jump down to the one that everybody loves, Jesus walking on the water. Um, this is recorded in Matthew, Mark, and John. And it's on the Sea of Galilee. 
And it was about the fourth watch, which is about between 3 and 6 a.m. And it's another storm happening. Remember, the first one was he was sleeping on the ship with them. And this one, they see this man walking. I don't know about you, but if I see someone walking on water, there's a few things running through my head. Are they walking on rocks? What is this? But they're out in the middle of the sea. And out of all the disciples, all the miracles they've seen, one says, hey, can I come out there? And Jesus is like, sure, come on. They've seen all the miracles. One guy says, hey, let me come out. And while Peter is walking on the water, it basically proves that he is no longer a victim of a storm. Remember, storms in their lives, the sea was the storm, the chaos. So he conquers his chaos and becomes master of the storm until he starts thinking, oh, wait a minute, am I prayed up enough, like what I was saying? You know, I, I don't know if that's what he's thinking. I, I imagine he got scared. Maybe it was a big wave. He was tempted. I, I don't know. But, you know, he took a step and he started to fail. But there was Jesus right there, reaching down. And it's just like today, when we fail, He's standing right there going, hey, come on, you can do it, you can do it. And I fail every day. You can ask my wife. I get angry with her. I'm not supposed to get <laughs> But Jesus is there, no matter what, reaching down saying, hey, you gave it a shot, that's okay. But I'm right here next to you. I can lift you up. I can pick you up. I can take care of you through any situation. Uh, any questions so far? Any comments? Please stop staring at me and talk. Brother Bruce, any comments? Prove me wrong. Go ahead. I don't care. <laughs> I, like the, I like the thought that he walked on, that Peter walked on water while he kept his eyes on Jesus. Mm-hmm. And when he looked at the problem of the waves, that's when he stopped. Uh, and that just speaks volumes to me. You guys think you have problems. This guy's walking in the middle of the sea. Who knows how deep it was? That's a pretty big problem. Now, he stepped on there, stepped out on his own. But that tells us if you step out in faith, God's going to meet you. All right. The, let's move on here. I'm trying to get done, Blake. Sorry. Uh, and I can't pronounce this, so somebody needs to help me. The Syrophinchian woman? Is that how you pronounce it? Thank you. Uh, and daughter were healed at the coast of uh, Tyre and Sidon. This woman was so desperate. She's crying out for Jesus. She didn't care. Um, he ignores her at first. He just kind of keeps walking. And she did something that it, it, I've never really paid attention to this portion of it. I've always heard, you know, she was been they look she looked worse than him beneath him I guess you would say she started worshiping him in her situation she started worshiping him she got down and started worshiping him and even though sometimes we feel we're not where we should be or where we need to be 
All we have to do is worship him. Just step in and say, Jesus, man, you're awesome. I know I'm struggling. I know I messed up. But you still love me and I love you because of that. And it, and it shows that even though we may not get that answer right then and there, if we worship him and keep our faith, because he almost tests her faith if you really think about it. Because he said, you know, the dogs, the dogs don't eat before my kids. I know I'm interpreting different. It's, but she responds with great faith and says, you know what though? The dogs even get some of the crumbs. So when things aren't going good, you just got to keep that faith up and let God know, hey, I know this one over here, this church over here has 5,000, or this, I haven't seen a healing, but I'm going to keep worshiping you. It doesn't matter. I'm going to keep going because sometimes those crumbs are going to fall from those churches or those crumbs are going to fall from the table, so to speak. And you're going to be able to pick those crumbs up even though you, know, you don't get to see these great things right in front of you. When the missionary comes in and they are showing, hey, this one was healed and this one got baptized and this one. That lifts our spirits. It lifts mine anyway. So when things look impossible and hopeless, just start worshiping God. No matter what, just start worshiping. Uh, did you say something? No, but I was thinking something. Go ahead. So she was a Gentile. Yeah. Well, she wasn't a, a Jewish. A Jewish. She came to the Jews and she was a Gentile. Uh, had no right mm-hmm. to the blessing. But I think you see it all through the, the New Testament. A lot of the miracles Jesus did were became miracles to Gentiles because they were they were like, hey, this guy's doing miracles. We're not uh, bound by conditioning and going, well, I have to be geographically pious. No, I, I see a miracle take place and I want to be a part of it. So that the, the Gentiles became a part of the miraculous just because they were more willing to accept it than a lot of the Jews were. They were saying, now oh, these miracles are the devil, like you said earlier. They were even trying to discount the miracles. Yeah. Will we do that? Will we do the same thing? Will we try to discount the miracles because we haven't seen them? Interesting thought. I don't want to be like Mark Nino and ask those type of questions. So we move on to the Next healing that we have listed here, and it's the deaf and dumb man healed. Once again, it's another dumb person. It's not like our dumb. They just can't speak very well. Um, this happened at Decapolis. Uh, it's really only recorded in Mark. And the interesting thing here is Jesus takes this guy aside. All the rest of the miracles were done in front of people that we've seen up to this point. There was more than one person seen him. And he takes this man aside and he, and he uh, basically heals him without people seeing it. So it's Jesus basically stepping down to that one-on-one situation. You know, it's awesome to come to church and worship, but you can still get to that one-on-one relationship in your home. He's going to meet you where your need is. Um, so the guy gets healed and uh, Jesus is telling, starting to tell people, hey, don't talk about this. Before he, said, he was saying, go and tell. 
he's starting to say, don't talk about this. And we're getting closer to him going to the cross. So we're, we're seeing sometimes he's telling people, let's, let's keep this quiet. Now, I don't know if I could keep it quiet if Jesus healed me. Um, I think I'd take a lap or two. Um, now we jump into the 4,000 being fed. And this is where I was talking about they were bringing him people right and left, and he was healing them. But in Matthew, it says the multitude, they had been with Jesus for three days. And he was worried about them. What other God is worried about you? Buddha. None of those are worried about you. Um, And this one's a little different than the previous multitude being fed. He asked them, or this time he asked how much food and they told him, hey, we have seven loaves and a few fish. And he gets the disciples together, makes them all sit down again. And they did all eat, and they had seven baskets left over. And verse 30 tells us, uh, of Matthew chapter 15, Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. So we have seven baskets left over, and we also have the crowd bringing people to them and just going, here, heal this one, heal this one. And the Pharisees, I think they were scared at this time because he's starting to build crowds of four and 5,000 people, so they're getting a little nervous. And God, God's not scared of our enemies. He doesn't care what's out there. He's still going to keep doing what he needs to do to feed the sick, to heal the sick, to still fill with the Holy Ghost. So we need to remember that even though you're going to school and you might have some problems at school, God is not just in this sanctuary or he's not just in this room. He's at your school. He's with you wherever you go. So you don't have to worry about it. Or he's at your home. I know you're not in school, but he's at your home. He's at the store. He's at your work. He's wherever you need to be. And it doesn't matter how big the crowd is, God is always there. And he'll do whatever it takes to take care of you. Are you needing time? Okay. Blake's going to come up here in a minute and really show you guys how to do this. Um, so don't forget that. Don't forget that God is right there all the time. Um, he goes back to Bethsaida and he heals the blind man. Um, and this time when he heals the blind man, he just doesn't say, you're healed. He actually puts his hands on him and he asks the guy, hey, can you see and he says, I see men, or I see people, uh, and they look like trees walking around. And then he touches him again, and he opens his eyes, and the sight's restored. I'm not really for sure why he did that. I, I'm wondering if it was something just to prove something to this man, because he had him off to the side again. Uh, and he told this man, don't even go into a village to tell them. 
So he's starting to, hey guys, you know what? Let's keep this quiet. He did, like I said, it took him twice to heal him, but he had called him out of the city to heal him. So it's that one-on-one relationship that we see again. And how awesome is it that God will take that one-on-one relationship with you? Uh, The next one I'll go through really fast also. Demonic and... uh, Lieutenant... uh, I can't say that word either. Basically, uh, a a little boy is healed near Caesarea Philippi. Uh, A man brings his son who is hurting... He's hurting himself because of the demons that are inside him, so he has no control over his body. And isn't that like the devil to take control of everything? Uh, Somebody made a quote when I was a kid one time. You give him an inch and he becomes a ruler. I I don't remember who told me that, but when you give the devil any anything, he takes over your whole body. This guy, this kid was ca- uh, cutting himself, throwing himself in the fires, doing everything that is just unimaginable to himself. But yet, when Jesus gets involved, even though, like the Father said, help my unbelief, he can still do things through, even if there is any doubt at all. So the man is transparent. Hey, God, I believe but I need help with my unbelief. And I I think that that would be a better prayer for us also is, hey God, I believe, but help our unbelief. Help us get through the the things that we don't understand. Also, the disciples in this scenario here, they were trying to cast out the demon themselves. And this is what's interesting. They couldn't do it. With everything they had, they couldn't do it and they asked God, well, why can't we do this? And, and he said, hey, there's some things that take uh, prayer and fasting. And I think that's what we need to do a little bit better of. Oh, point at me. I think I can do things because, hey, I killed the church. I have the Holy Ghost. And that's true. But what? how much more could I do if I spend a little more time in prayer? If I spend a little more time fasting? We're in the last days. Um, we've been studying the end time over next door on Thursday nights. And this healing really stuck out to me because of the prayer and fasting. And because we see you don't have to be up on the news. You don't have to be an end time scholar. But the things that we are seeing in today's world, who would have ever thought that i got to be careful. He can edit this, right? That homosexuality would be as broad as it is to where when I was growing up a commercial, you didn't hear a curse word or anything. But you see in commercials, homosexuals kissing. You see, you hear the curse words on commercials. You couldn't even say that on the regular TV shows. So when we go from, hey, Hollywood says, you, know, you can't talk like that, to where Hollywood's thrown in front of your face now, how close are we to the end? And how close are we to Jesus' coming? And how 
more prayer and more fasting than what we're already doing can get this get to this world and overcome those things like it says here some things are going to happen only through prayer and fasting and i think in these last days this is what we need to do is the the prayer and the fasting and i'll let Blake take over from here All right, we are on the final stretch. We've made it to the fourth quarter of our two-week journey through some of the miracles of Jesus. Now, for those of you that were here last week, I gave you guys a breakdown as far as how there were 37 that we were that were documented that we were going to go through. And how in order for us to make it through all of those, we would have to hustle through 18 a night or nine per teacher. And you guys probably noticed last week, I definitely did not get nine. I think I got four. So I got close. Okay, got close. Um, And at first I was kind of like, man, I told them we'd get through nine. I did four. Like it was bothering me. But then I just thought about it a little more. and, And to me, I think that's okay. I think... This has to be more. It has to be about more than just hitting the quota of being able to talk about or discuss the name of and where X amount of things take place. But to actually dive deep and pull out the the meaning behind why and, and begin to dive deep into the understanding of why these things took place the way they did and then be able to turn around and apply them in our lives today. And so tonight, I'm going to be honest with you guys, I'm not even going to get to that number that I got last week of four. We're just going to actually make it through one. But in this one, there's, there's really a lot to go through. There's a lot of detail that is given in this one and, and a lot of detail to take out of this one, which I think is why this one is actually given an entire chapter all to itself. So it's just one focus. You're not being pulled in different directions. It just has one chapter all by itself. So to get there, we're going to look at John chapter 9. And again, we're going to talk about another blind man that is healed. So when you look at John chapter 9, we start out with Jesus and his disciples just walking. They're just traveling and they come across this man who was sitting there begging and was blind and they found out that this man had been blind since birth and then the disciples turned to Jesus in verse 2 and they ask him why why is this man blind is he blind did he sin when he was in the womb or was he born blind as punishment due to something that his parents had done prior to him or before him And Jesus dispels both of these ideas and and he explains to them that this this is not the doing of himself or anything that his parents did before him, but this comes from God. And, And this was done on purpose with the purpose of resulting in God's glorification. So he's he's foreshadowing that something is getting ready to take place, right? Because he tells them. This man is blind, and this man has been blind since birth in order for God to receive glory. Where is the glory in that? 
What, what, where can you pull glory out of this man living all of life blind? Not being able to see anybody, not being able to see anything, to go anywhere, to do anything. And so he's telling them, there's a reason behind this. And you're getting ready to see what that is. And so after he begins to explain this to them, he then spits on the ground and he makes clay. He picks it up and he rubs his nasty spit mud on this man's face. And then after he does that, he tells him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. And so the man went and washed and he came back seeing. Now this was the part that caught my interest. It piqued my interest here. When, when you think of Jesus, right? Jesus was sent by God to this earth. And, and in this instance, Jesus, being the sent one, sent this man to the pool of Siloam. Which when you translate into Hebrew means sent. So the sent one sent this man to the pool of sent, where this man washed his face and those blind eyes were opened and he was now able to see and came back to the town. And as he came back into the town, his neighbors or the people that were in that town that he probably grew up with, that elders that watched him grow up, kids that had probably played around him as he sat and begged while being blind, saw him coming back to town now being able to see. And then they begin to wonder and question. And somebody was like, Is, isn't, isn't that the blind dude that used to just sit over there and beg all the time? And somebody was like, no, that, that can't be him. Like, he, he can see. That, that can't be the blind guy that we've all known. And somebody else was like, I mean, it looks kind of like him. I think there might be a chance. I cousin or you know relative something and so finally this man responds to all of them and he says yes yes I I am he I am this blind man that you are talking about and so to me I think the next question is pretty obvious right they all these people witnessing this man that they've seen grow up blind they've seen live blind never being able to see and now he's walking in and can see perfectly fine. And so their next question is, how did that happen? How were you once blind and now have the ability to see? What took place? And so he begins to tell them what happened. And he says, a man named Jesus made clay and put it on my eyes and then sent me to the pool of Siloam. And when I went and washed my eyes... I was able to see. And when he was done giving them this description and, and describing this event, they, they just asked, well, where is this guy that you call Jesus? Where's this guy that you say did this for you? And he was just like, yeah, I don't know. He did this and then he left. I don't, I don't know where he went. And one of these townspeople or neighbors or whatever you want to call them, decided that at this point in time, they needed to take this man before the Pharisees. They needed to take this man before their religious leaders because the story that he is depicting and what he's telling them took place would mean that Jesus disobeyed the law of the Sabbath by performing this work on this day. So they take him before the Pharisees 
And I'm assuming they probably gave them a little rundown on what took place before the Pharisees even agreed to see this man. So now the man's before the Pharisees and they begin to ask him again, explain to us what happened. How are you now able to see? And so again, he walks through this whole story with them about the man named Jesus who spit on the ground and picked up his own spit and put it on his face. And now he can see. Which then sparked a little bit of discussion or or even division amongst the Pharisees because you had some of them saying, well, this man, there's no way that this man can be sent from God. There's no way that he can be of God because if he doesn't follow the Sabbath, he's a sinner and a sinner can't be from God. While then the other half of them will say are over there and they're they're using a little bit of logic and they're like, well, I mean, what you're saying kind of makes sense, I guess. But when you think about it, would a sinner be able to do what this man's telling us that this guy just did? And so they're having discussion back and forth and back and forth and not really landing on anything. And finally, they look to this man and they're simply just like, all right, well, we can't figure out what's going on. What are your thoughts? What's your take on this guy? What do you think is going on? And when you look at verse 17, his his response is, is really simple. And he just simply says to them, he's a prophet. Which to us would probably be a sufficient answer. But to the Pharisees, it wasn't good enough. To the Pharisees, they had to dive a little deeper. And even though this man was standing there before them, the one that it happened to, and it was probably pretty obvious that he was able to see at this point. I'm sure he was probably looking at all of them while he was talking to them and making eye contact with people. So it was probably very easy to tell that he had the ability to see. And he was giving them a recount of what took place. Probably the exact same story that he told everybody in the town. And the exact same story that they brought to the Pharisees before he came to see them. And yet even still they did not believe him. They couldn't believe that this miracle he was talking about took place. But they just weren't sure what they didn't believe him about. At first they didn't believe How or who? And that's where you get the conversation back and forth of, well, no, because he would be a sinner and the sinner can't be from God. And then the other people are saying, well, if he's a sinner, he wouldn't be able to do this. And so they're going back and forth. So they couldn't believe that this actually took place. And then it went even one step further to the point where they didn't believe that he was blind growing up. And he had just spent all of these years faking it. Because that's what we would all choose to do is sit on the street and beg people and be blind, right? And so because they, they thought he was lying about being blind and pretending his whole life, what they did was they, they called for his parents and had his parents brought in to be questioned as well. And as they arrived, they now became part of this interrogation. And so all the attention goes to them and the Pharisees asked them saying this This right here is your son, right? This is your son who you say was born blind. Then explain to us how he now has the ability to see. And the parents answered them and said, yeah, this is our son. And yes, he was born blind. But in verse 21, they say, 
but by what means he now sees, we don't know. Or who opened his eyes, we don't know. But he is old enough. Just ask him. He can speak for himself. He doesn't need mommy and daddy to talk for him anymore. He can handle it. And so they pulled himself out of the conversation. And when you look at verse 22, it explains why they were so evasive in their answers. Because it says that the parents responded this way out of fear. Out of fear that if they did stand there and say, it was Jesus that did this work. If they agreed with their son, they would have been cast out of the synagogue. And so instead, they didn't really give much help and they simply just said, yeah, it's our kid and yeah, he was born blind. But anything after that, leave us out of it. This is all for him to speak on. This is for him to talk about. This happened to him. It didn't happen to us. And by the way, he's old enough. He can handle his own. Leave us alone. And so they turned their attention back to the blind man. And they asked him yet again to go through this story of what happened. They wanted to make sure that they had all their notes in place and they didn't miss a detail. They didn't add one, take one out, that everybody's notes matched, that they aligned, that they weren't missing anything and that what he was saying is what they were understanding. So they asked him to go through it once more. And he answered, but I don't think his answer was the answer that they expected. And he had a little bit of fun with his answer instead. And when you look at verse 27, he answers them and he says, I already told you this whole story. We already went through all of this. I've told you everything and you didn't listen. That's your fault. Okay. I said it. You didn't want to listen to it. You didn't want to believe it. That's not my problem. But then he kind of, this is where he throws the fun in there. And he asks them, why, why is it that you want to hear it yet again? Is it possible that maybe you want to learn a little more about Jesus so you can follow him as well? Do you also want to become his disciple is the way that he words it? Which at this point now they're just upset, right? Because now he's questioning them. Now he's being a little sarcastic. And so now they're just mad and, and they respond to that question and they say, whoa, whoa, hold on. We follow Moses because we know that God spoke to Moses. But this guy that you talk about, we've got, we don't even know where he came from. We don't know who he is. We don't know nothing about this guy. So no, don't even question whether we want to follow him or whether we want to be his disciple or anything that you may think. And so now at this point, due to their answer, it prompts the man to call them out on their hypocrisy a little bit. And when you look at verse 30, it says, why? That's very strange. He healed my eyes, and yet you don't even know where he comes from. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he is ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. Ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. So he goes back to that discussion of, that they were having earlier of, well, is, this guy has to be a sinner, right? And then the other group saying, no, he can't be a sinner because he wouldn't do this. Well, yeah, but he has to be a sinner because he's working on the Sabbath. And now he throws the question out there again. If he wasn't from God, 
would he be able to do what I'm telling you he did? Because after all, these, these men that he was speaking to, they were supposed to be experts in theology. These were not just normal people that they were talking to or that were questioning him. They were, quote unquote, experts in theology. But yet they didn't even know where Jesus came from. Nor could they explain how somebody that they labeled a sinner would be able to perform the act that is being told right in front of them. So these experts don't have the answers anymore. Which is now causing them to grow more and more frustrated with this man before them as he begins to have a little fun and call them out on their lack of knowledge. And then he throws a little cherry on top. And he makes that statement. If, this, if he's not from God... He wouldn't be able to do this. He could do nothing. And that's the cherry because finally they were like, you know what? You're calling us out on this. You're arguing with us. You're making us realize that we're not as smart as we thought we were. And there might be something else out there. And you're trying to change our mindset. And so they got so upset to the point that in verse 34, they said to him, listen, you were born in sin. Who are you to come in here and tell us that there's something different out there? Who are you to come teach us anything? And they kick him out of the synagogue. And they labeled him a sinner for the rest of time. They literally took somebody that they said, you were born in sin and kicked him out of their church and said, don't come back here. We have nothing for you. And they even went back to the same assumption that the disciples had made in, in, uh, back in verse 2. Because they, they had that assumption of, well, he had to be born blind, right? We're calling him a sinner. The reason that he was blind is because he's a sinner. So it had to be he sinned in the womb and that's why he's blind. And so they kick him out. But what happens next is the fun part. Because after he was kicked out, verse 35 says, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he found him. So that means that Jesus heard that this man was cast out. And then Jesus went looking for him. And when he found him, he said to him, do you believe in the son of God? And so the man answered and a very simple question of, well, who is that? Who is this son of God? Because if I knew who it was, then yeah, maybe I would like to believe in him. And Jesus replied to him and he said, you have both seen him and are currently talking with him. So then the man replied and said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. So unlike the lame man in John chapter five, where Jesus actually had to go back to him and remind him. And he had to give him a very stern warning of, hey, you better quit sinning because if you don't, there's a life that you're going to experience that is much, much, much worse than the 38 years that you just lived with your handicap. Unlike that man, the blind man immediately believed and immediately worshipped him when he found out who he was in the presence of. Now, I want to go back to the parents for a moment. 
You see, the parents, they, they allowed their desire to have membership at that synagogue. They allowed their desire to remain in their friend group, to remain in the culture or, or the belief that they had known for years and years and just what they've always known. Instead of the opportunity to experience something new, they allowed all of that to prevent them from professing their belief in Jesus. Which brings up two different points or perspectives to take from. And the first one's this. We have to understand that living this life, believing in and following the word of God, is going to cause us to have to remove some people, places, and things from our life. And it won't always be easy. But there has to be sacrifice. And then the second one is, we cannot, it is crucial that we do not hide God in order to fit in or to feel like we belong somewhere else. And if we can follow those two points, if you can grasp onto those and live your life that way, there's blessing that comes out of that. The son understood this. He understood that there was something different than he had always known. He understood that there was something more than he had always known. And he believed that what had taken place in him that day was much more powerful than anything he had ever been shown before. And he decided that this is what I want to follow. This is where I want to put my belief. And he stood firm on those beliefs, no matter what judgment or repercussion came from it. And because he stood on that belief, when that judgment came, and they kicked him out of the synagogue, he didn't have to stand there in the wilderness wondering, well, what do I do now? I've just been removed from everything that I once knew. I don't even know to work. I've been blind my whole life. I don't know if this is green or yellow or blue. I don't know if that's a tree or if that's a rock. or I don't know anything. But I've just been kicked out from everything that I did. But it says that when he was kicked out, Jesus came for him. But the parents missed it. They missed potentially their only chance to not only meet Jesus, but maybe also to even be impacted the same way or to the same extent that their son had just been. And all for what? What did they give that up for? For the ability to be with the same friend group that they're comfortable with for the ability to continue to go to this same church that has one belief and pushes away truth and never opens their eyes to anything better or to follow people that believe God is powerful enough to speak to Moses the way he did and to do the things he did through Moses but that that same God isn't capable to provide a savior to the world like he did. 
And so we see Jesus make his final statement to the blind man in verse 39. And he says, for judgment, I have come into this world that those who do not see may see and that those who see may be blind. And there there were a couple Pharisees off to the side that were eavesdropping a little bit. And they heard this statement and that then made them question a little bit like, well, he's saying for people that don't see, they do see. And the people that do see, they don't see. And I think I can see. I, I mean, I can see him having this conversation. I've, I've seen my whole life. I, I can see. So does that mean that I'm blind? And he replies to them and he says, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, I see, and therefore your sin remains. So what does he, what does he mean here when he, when he makes this statement of, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say we see, your sin remains. What does he mean there? Any thoughts? Blank stares across the crowd. Nothing? Yeah. Uh, for me, it kind of brought up the last show, the first and the first show, the last, kind of that idea of like people that are blind but want to see, you know, I'm give them the opportunity to see, but the people that see and think they're like so, you know, powerful and holy for being able to see, they're the ones that are actually blind. Good. Yeah. Anybody else? Yeah, similar to come as a little child. Yeah. yeah you know. Sure. I, th- I think when, when, when that question gets phrased, you have to start off with a different question. See what? Blind to what? What's he talking about when he says, if you can see, you're actually blind, but if you're blind, you can actually see to what? Sins. Sins, good. Jesus. Jesus. This, this entire story has continuously hit on the battle, the constant battle between light and darkness. And it's here to serve as a commentary to one of the leading spiritual principles that's given to us in Matthew chapter 9. And that's Jesus came to bring division. Now, I know when, when that statement's made, that Jesus came to bring division, we, we start to question a little bit, like, well, what, what happened to all the love and peace and mercy and, you know, Acts chapter 2, one mind, one accord, you know, unity all throughout. We, we've always learned and been taught that. So where does this Jesus came to bring division come from? But it's not division amongst each other in that way. You have to actually go look at Matthew chapter 10 to understand what he's trying to divide. Because if you, if you start in verse 34, this is Jesus speaking to the disciples. And he's giving them direction for 33 other verses. And then he comes to this and he says, don't imagine that I came to bring peace to the earth. I came not to bring peace, 
but a sword. I have come to set man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And 36, he says, your enemies will be in your own household. And he explains what he means by this. If you love your father or your mother more than you love me, you're not worthy of being mine. Or if you love your son or daughter more than me, you're not worthy of being mine. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of being mine. And if you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. And this is what, this principle is what those parents missed. They were so caught up in maintaining their membership at the synagogue. They were so caught up in retaining the friendships and the customs that they had built that they placed all of that before Jesus. And this is what he's trying to get the Pharisees to understand at the end. So I said, when, it, when he says, if you see, you're blind, but if you're blind, you can see. And then I said, the question to that is, to what? It's to this. You have to become blind to the customs that may have been put upon you. You have to be blind or divided from some of the people that maybe you've spent your entire life with. And you have to be blind to everything that you've ever known or been a part of. That's not saying that you can never know or be a part of it again, but it is saying that when it comes to Jesus, you have to divide yourself from all of that and put yourself with him. And if you can divide from that, or if you can become blind from all of that, that is when you will see. But what are we seeing? That's when you see the true glory and the true power And that's where the true love and peace and mercy and healing of God comes in. So as we wrap up our session on the miracles of Jesus. And we've talked about numerous different miracles. And from people being healed to food being provided to demons being cast out. And you may sit there and think, this is, this is amazing. And we even started tonight off with talking about praying to be involved in that. But sometimes when you hear these, it's very easy to sit back and think to yourself that there's no way that I could be there. There's no way that I could do anything like that. I want to leave you with this. And it's the same statement that Jesus left with his disciples at one point. And that's John chapter 14, verse 12. I tell you the truth. And this is Jesus speaking. Anyone who believes in me will do, not can, not might. That's a statement. They will do these same works that I have done and even greater works than these. So whenever you're sitting there and you feel that tug or 
you feel that call or that push or whatever it may be, and you start to question, can, can I do that? Am I able? Am I capable? Am I good enough? Remember that statement. He made that over you. He declared that over each and every one of you, that the works you read about and hear about, you are capable of doing and you will do and do even greater.